0: Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage, they're a gift from God. You can hear them right now, they're little gifts. Children are a heritage, they're a gift from God. You see this even from Jesus. There's some children that try to approach Jesus, and the disciples say, no, 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 he's too important, he doesn't have time, and Jesus rebukes them. And in fact, he says, if anyone doesn't come to me like they come to me, then they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Of God. So children are a gift from God. In fact, they teach us in a lot of ways, not always, they teach us how to pursue God, how to have a relationship with God. Children are an amazing gift, not just to your family, but to our broader church family. And so we want to celebrate them. And so, as you're tempted tonight with our kids in the service with us to be distracted or to be frustrated with even with your own kids, I want you to instead celebrate that. As you hear the squirms and and the screams and the cries, that you wouldn't be distracted, but they would be reminders to celebrate that children are a gift from God. So kids, kids, there you go. I can see some of you. I want you to focus in. We're going to have a shorter time, so I want you to focus in and listen. Parents, I want you to relax. I want you to take a deep breath. We can do this together. And then I want to acknowledge our PBC Kids volunteers. If you've ever served in our kids' ministry, if you've ever taught or done check-in, served in any capacity once, I want you to go ahead and stand up for me. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Give those guys a clap. You can remain, remain standing. Remain standing. We want you to get a workout for a second. Um, I want you to know, I want you to look at me. I want you to know that you are a vital part of the mission of our church that we believe that kids' ministry should make little disciples of Jesus. You aren't just downstairs doing child care. You're doing ministry. You are participating in the mission of God. I have two kids. They come home and they tell me what they're learning about Jesus downstairs. They come home and, and sing songs and get excited about singing songs about Jesus. And so as you look around At the kids in this room. Just look around. You can stop looking at me. Look around at the kids. These little guys and these little girls know more about Jesus because of you. Because of what Jesus is doing in you and through you. And we want to thank you for that. It's a really big deal. So thank you very much. You can take a seat now. I mentioned I have two kids. My family and I actually went out to eat recently to a restaurant, we typically go out to eat at off-peak times because our kids can be a little crazy and it can get a little chaotic. And so, we our favorite time, our wheelhouse, so to say, is about 3 p.m. Restaurants are pretty vacant by then, and so we'll usually go out to eat. And we did this the other day, and I always kind of feel like I need to leave a note of apology after uh, we leave a restaurant, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't, but um, it's always just kind of crazy, and it always starts out with my kids sit on one side, and my wife and I sit on the other side, and it never fails every single time, and it was the case the other day, that my kids end up in our laps, right? They climb all over us. They're, they're wanting to be as close to us as physically possible. My son, actually, he'll push me out of the way, and he wants my seat, It's not enough for him to sit in my lap. He literally wants my seat, so he'll come over and he'll be pushing me out of the way. He's smiling because he knows. It's true. He does it every time. He wants me out of my seat, and I'm like, where am I supposed to sit? So I end up standing up and sometimes sitting on the other side. They want to be as close to us as physically possible, but my wife and I would be okay with a little bit of distance, just a little bit. We love our children, but we would be okay with a little bit of distance, Have you ever been in a relationship where you were trying to get close, but there was some distance? Maybe you're in one now where you you want that relationship to get closer, to go deeper, to be transparent, to enjoy one another, but it's just a little bit distant. Maybe you just experienced that when you went home for Thanksgiving. There were family members or friends that you were hanging out with, and, and you just felt like something was lacking, like everybody was kind. Everybody was polite, but it just seemed a little distant. Maybe it's in your marriage. This is a really tough one, right? Where It's in your marriage where you think, man, we used to spend time talking about things. We used to spend time going to the same places, listening to the same music. There was a closeness. There was a, a transparency. There was an authenticity. There was a level of intimacy in our relationship, and we no longer have that, now it feels distant. It feels like the other person has just checked out, and they're not really engaged and interested anymore. Things are going okay. You're paying the bills, you have dinner at night, but if you're honest, things just feel distant. For some of you, that describes your relationship with God. As you look at your relationship with God, you at one point you were close to God. At one point, Things felt alive in your relationship with God. At one point, you talked to God like a father, like your heavenly father. But now he just seems kind of distant. Maybe because of confusion, you think, I wonder if God even wants a relationship with me. Maybe because of sin, you think, maybe God is, is done with me. Maybe God has abandoned me. And you feel distant, even in your relationship with With God. Have you ever been in a relationship where you felt distant, where you grew distant? Are you in one now? Is that your relationship with God? We're gonna look at that tonight in John 17, so you can grab a Bible and head there. We're closing out this series in John 17 called Praying for You. We've looked at Jesus' prayer right before he goes to the cross. And so we've gotten to see some things that are really, really important to Jesus. And he out, finishes out this prayer with a prayer for relationship. A prayerful relationship with you and I and what that looks like. So we're going to look at that picture. in John 17, we'll start in verse 24. Look at the text with me. It says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So a big question most of you all just started asking recently, probably at least by Friday, Black Friday, is what do you want for Christmas? You ask your spouse this, you ask your kids this. Kids, you love this question, don't you? You have like five pages written out already of what you want for Christmas. You're very in tune with what you want. Have you ever thought about what Jesus wants? Like, I don't mean to make you feel guilty, but literally, have you ever just sat around and thought, like, what does Jesus want? Like, what do you think Jesus wants? Look at verse 24. You see this word desire. In the original language, it means wanting, coveting, a longing. So what does Jesus long for? What does he covet? What does he want? Look at the verse again. They also whom you have given me, that you and I, may be with me. Jesus wants, Jesus longs for a relationship with you. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, and you've tried to do good things for God, but you never realized that God wanted to be with you. Jesus desires that he may be with you, that you may be with him. He desires relationship with you. When my family and I lived in Portland, we would go hiking a lot to these different waterfalls. There's different waterfalls all over the Portland area. It's a beautiful place, and this one waterfall we went to was was down in the cleft of some rocks, and so you had to walk down to get there. So we park, and you can see the waterfall from where we parked. And so as soon as we pull up, the kids are, are looking at the waterfall. My wife and I are looking at the waterfall, and we're very impressed. It was beautiful, right? It's waterfall amongst trees and. Uh, amongst mountains, and it's a beautiful thing to see, and we were very impressed. But we came there to hike, so we didn't just stand in the parking lot, so we began to hike down and made our way to the waterfall. Ashwin at the time, my son, was two, and we forgot that little pack that you carry him on, so it made for an interesting trip and a long trip down. But we, we navigated the trail with him over my shoulder and made our way down to the waterfall. And Far away from the waterfall, we were impressed. But what was so cool is we could get close to the waterfall. In fact, with this waterfall, there was a huge rock right next to the falls. And so my daughter and I went out across some rocks, climbed up the big rock, and sat right next to this waterfall, as close as we could get. And we began to feel the the cool of the falls on us. We began to feel the wind of the falls because we were right next to it. And then drops of water began to hit us in the face. Before we knew it, we were drenched by this waterfall. You see, from far off, the waterfall was impressive. Up close to the waterfall, we were affected. Far off, we were impressed by it. Up close, we were affected by it. You see, as you get closer to God, as you are with him, he affects you. It has to happen because God is way too powerful, he's way too glorious, he's way too loving. You're affected by him. How many of you have looked at God from afar for way too long? I would imagine in a a church like ours, in a city like ours, you're, you're here at church, you come to church regularly, maybe you're in a few Bible studies, maybe you're serving, maybe you're doing things for God, but not with God. Maybe you're hanging out with people who know God, but you're not experiencing God yourself. If you were honest, you're very far from God. You're keeping him at a distance. Maybe it's because of sin in your life, and you think, if I got really close, if I got that close, I would be affected by God. And I wouldn't be the same, and that scares you. Maybe you think if I got that close, if I really engaged God in intimate relationship, that he would be ashamed of me, that maybe he would abandon me because he would know everything that I've done. You need to hear this. God knows everything about you already. Whether you go close to him or stay far from him, he knows. He knows everything about you. And he's inviting you to come be with him where he is. That is his longing. That is his desire. So do you stay far from God, in fear of God? Or do you come close to be affected by God? Listen, as a church, as you come to church, as you serve, as you go to a community group, our desire is that you would get more of God. Not that you would look at God and be impressed of what he's doing and be able to to talk about it and articulate it and use all the Christian jargon. That's not the goal. We want you, as you enter into this room, even tonight, to be affected by your creator. Because he's here with us. We gather together in this room because he gathers with us because we can be near to him. Just like when my daughter and I got on that rock. And we begin to feel the cold and the wind and the drops of water. You begin to feel God's love for you, God's justice, God's righteousness because you're engaging God. You're coming close to God. That is his desire for you. Do you have a relationship with God? Or has it just become religion? Has it just become going through the motions where you know how to talk the talk? You even know how to walk The walk when other people are looking, but if you're honest, you can't remember the last time that you just spent time with God, that you just enjoyed the presence of God. You see, presence is what takes our relationship from theoretical to practical, presence is what takes our relationship from theological to practical, to experiential, where it's no longer things we just speak about. Like you've had this experience, right? Like you've been in a Bible study and you've heard the same thing over and over your whole life. You've been in church and you've heard sermons on different things your whole life. But one sermon, one Bible study where you engage the presence of God, things hit a little bit differently. It feels like you're hearing it again for the first time. That's the presence of God, the outworking of the presence of God in your life. That's what he desires for you. So what keeps us from his presence? I think there's a lot of things. I think, as I said earlier, sin, specifically unrepentant sin. Like in your life, the the sins that you have neglected to confess... That you said, well, those are little things, like, I'll, I'll fix those. I'll get to those eventually. You neglect to meet with God, to confess those sins, to bring them before God. Maybe it is because of shame. Maybe it is because of fear. But whatever the case, it's put up a wall between you and God. And you think, well, I would, I would read scripture, but I'm feeling kind of guilty right now and what I really need is a weekend getaway. I need a retreat. I need a, a cabin in the woods. I need a, a marriage conference. I, I need to go to church first. And then I can meet with God. I, I need to sit on my back porch for, for two hours and, and log all my thoughts and journal all his ways. And then maybe I can meet with God. I don't have time to do that right now. And I don't see myself going to retreat, but eventually that's going to happen and we put it off. There's unrepentant sin in your life. And because of that, there's a wall between you and God. And you, instead of having the three-hour experience, instead of having the, the retreat or the conference or the church service, you never have anything. And you look back and you think about your week and you think about your month and you think about your year. And you can't remember the last time you engaged God because of unrepentant sin. As you have sin in your life, as you are made aware of offenses to a holy God, you need to stop. You need to stop right there and then and confess that before God. He is just and faithful to forgive you. He's already died for that sin to forgive you of that sin. You need to stop. And ask for forgiveness. And not allow that to create a wall that blocks intimacy in your relationship with God. That blocks nearness in your relationship with God. So I think what keeps a lot of us, what keeps a lot of you, is uh, from God is unrepentant sin. But I think it's also a fast pace of life. Man, in our society today, we work 40 to 60 hours a week. Some of you that are college students take 12 to 15 to 18 hours to, to whiz through college. We add on hobbies to that. We add on, if you have a family, you add on family to all that and all the the hobbies that you do together as a family. We just started doing um, tennis lessons with my daughter, and it's exhausting. Not for her, for me. Uh, Just to have to take her to that and pick her up from that and walk her through how to hit a tennis ball. and It takes a lot of effort. We have a fast-paced life. There's lots of things going on. And if you look at your life, you think I don't really have time to engage God in this way. I don't have time to be near to God. To engage him in a in a near way. And some of you, you need to you need to give up some of those hobbies. You need to drop a class. You need to tell your boss that you can't stay late. You need to tell your boss that you can't come in early. And you think, "Well, Tim, you don't you don't know my job." Like it's really intense. There's lots of expectations. I mean, you're a pastor. You don't really work. No, that's what you're thinking. Um, it's okay. I'm just, just kidding. Goodness. Uh, but you're thinking, I, I can't really work. I mean, i got a big project going on right now. I can't do that. Is it more important than your relationship with God? Is it more important than your intimacy with God? And there's definitely some creative ways. You can pray in the car. You can read scripture on your phone. You can listen to it on audio. But if you can't find a slot in your life for God, something's off. You need to make some changes. You need to give something up so that you can invest in your most important relationship that you will ever have with God. Maybe your life is too fast-paced. Maybe you need to give up something. I think for a lot of us, it's unrepentant sin. It's a fast-paced life. But I think... The biggest thing for all of us is distraction. Like in our 24-7 technological world, I think the biggest thing for a lot of us is distraction. NPR recently interviewed a neuroscientist, and this is what he said. He said, people can't multitask very well. And when they say they can, they're deluding themselves. The brain is very good at diluting itself. That's another sermon for another day about our depravity. But the brain is very good at diluting itself. You're not paying attention to one or two things simultaneously, but switching between them very rapidly. It went on to say that we have to perform one skill at a time before we can learn it with any mastery. There's many implications for us in this, but... One of them is we need to remove distractions. You can't multitask. Like, you need to remove distractions. That may mean you need to turn off your phone when you study Scripture. That may mean you need to shut the computer completely to study Scripture. And you may say, well, I have Scripture on my phone, on my computer. Okay, maybe. But maybe you need to open up that real thing. I think I see some of them. They're like, they have a hardback, some, a soft cover. Some of them do. Maybe it has your name engraved. Maybe you need to crack that baby open and look at it. Turn off your phone. Shut your computer. My kids, man, they call this out in me more than anybody else. It's amazing. They have no filter. My son will come up to me. I'll have my computer open. Sometimes my iPad open and my phone open at the same time. I don't even know why. Pray for me. <laughs> But my my son will come up to me, and he'll try to get my attention. He'll say something. Maybe he'll, he'll kind of give me a little punch. And eventually he'll grab my face and put it in front of his face like this. And just say, Daddy, he's two. And he's already calling me on my distractions. Man, how many distractions are keeping you from the presence of God? You can't do two things, four things, six things at once. You need to focus in. You don't need to do this all the time. You don't need to be a monk. But you need to have times in your life where you set everything aside and you engage your creator. You engage your heavenly father. Because he desires to engage with you. You need to remove distractions. And then you need to practice the presence of God. It's said in that study that we have to work to perform one skill at a time before we can learn it with any Mastery. Some of you may be saying, "Well, Tim, I've tried that. Like I've turned off the phone. I've I've sat outside. I've went for a hike, and God still feels distant to me. I, I've tried that." My my question to you would be, "How many times have you tried that? When's the last time have, that you've tried that?" We can't just try one or two times or five to ten times or 20 to 30 times, or 50 to 100 times. We need to keep trying. Our whole life needs to be pursuing a relationship with God, where you practice the presence of God, where you learn how he speaks to you, how you relate to him. If that's sitting outside, if that's hiking up a mountain, if that's laying on the ground, I don't know what that is for you. You need to practice the presence of of God. He longs to engage with you. We need to remove distractions and practice his presence. Why? Because when we engage the presence of God, we see his glory. Look at verse 24. Jesus says that he wants us to be with him so that we will see his glory. I told you about how my son gets my attention. My daughter does The same thing. She'll come in the room, and and she'll want my attention, and she'll usually drop hints. Like today, she came in the room, and um, she showed me her nails. They were beautiful. Showed me her painted nails and said, Daddy, Daddy, we're having a girl party. And uh, we have a friend staying with us, uh, one of Jay's friends from college, and she's staying with us. And so they're having a girl party. And she says to me, but Daddy, you can't come. I said, Okay. Okay, well thank you for the invitation, but I'm busy anyway, you know? And she says, Well well she looks down, she starts to think about it, and she says, Well, I guess you could come. I mean, it's a girl party, but I mean you could come if you wanted to. And I'm like, Okay, well, maybe sweetie, maybe I'll be there in a few minutes. And she gets to the door and she turns around, and she says, I mean, it's a girl party, but you can come. I mean, I, I wish you were a girl so you could come. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to take that. But I think what she was doing was hinting at she wanted to spend time with her dad. Right, she's missing spending time with her dad, and I have to pick up on those cues. And my wife will tell me about those cues. So Neela really wants to spend time with you. How can you tell? She's just, she's just talking about you a lot. She's dropping those hints. You need to know that Jesus has laid out every hint imaginable. He wants you to spend time with him so that you will see his glory. So that you will see who he really is. He's made it more overt than my daughter. Right, he entered into human history. He came down from heaven. He put flesh on. He was born in a manger. He lived life amongst us for 33 years. He made it very clear. He gave up his life for you on the cross. Jesus has dropped every hint you could ever imagine, overtly telling you, I want you to be with me where I am so that you can see me for who I am, so that you can see my glory so that you can see my goodness, so that you can see my truth and my grace and see how they're interwoven together. And there's nothing else like it. There's no one else like him. He wants you to see him for who he is. He wants you to see his glory. That's why he wants you to spend time with him. Are you spending intentional time with God to see him for who he is? Or are you keeping him at arm's length at a distance? Look at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. As kids, we sing this song. It's, it may be new to you, maybe not familiar. It's, it's skyrocketing up the charts. But track with me. It's, it's uh, Jesus Loves Me. Mm, mm, mm. Kids, help me out here. Come on, Neela. For the Bible tells me so. I think I'm directing, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Jesus loves me. Is that how it goes? Kids, help your parents? No, you're not going to participate. Okay, Jesus loves me, right? It's been around forever. It's a great song, but it's missing one key component. Jesus doesn't just love you. His love abides in you. Look at the verse. That the love with which you have loved me, the Father's love, may be in them and I in them. That the love of the Father would be in you that if you believe in Jesus, that his love would be in you and that he himself would be in you. That Jesus doesn't just love you. His love abides in you. And this is tough for us to understand because as a culture, we've watered down love. Right? We love everything. We love hot chocolate. We love Christmas trees. We love Christmas music. We love our food. So much that we take pictures of it and put it online for everybody to see. Love has become watered down in our culture, but love is a really big concept. This love that abides in you if you believe in Jesus is a really big deal. In fact, it's not something we just say. It's love in action. Listen to what it says in in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love is action. It has action to it. I don't know really what this is called, but I'm a little bit of a paranoid sleeper. Much less now, but I used to be really bad at this. My wife and I first got married, it freaked her out because I neglected to tell her this truth about me. And so one night... Uh, We have a vase with marbles in it in our living room. And one night, uh, it was installed on a shelf in the wall. It was our first year of marriage. We weren't too bright with installing things. So one night, that vase with marbles in it falls down off the shelf. The shelf comes off the wall. The vase comes off the wall. The marbles go everywhere. And I hear this, and I'm already a paranoid sleeper. I always think somebody's trying to break in my house. I don't know what it is. I think it's, maybe it's the man inside of me that wants that to happen. So I can really, it, you know, experience go time and just bring it. Um, but I always think somebody's in my house, and this time uh, there was a little bit more of a distraction, a little bit more of a noise with the vase, with the marbles, and the shelf. And so I hop out of bed. I do this ninja jump over the side of the bed. My wife is like, Tim, what's, what's wrong? Um, and I'm like, shh. I think there's somebody in the house. So at the time, I go get my shotgun. Uh, You might not want to have sleepovers, but I go get my shotgun, and it's not loaded, but I pump it a couple times just to let them know. And I walk out into our living room, and I see the marbles all over the floor. And I realize I shouldn't have told my wife to be quiet, right? I should have listened to her. She's wise. She knew there was nobody in the house. How many times do we just say we love someone? Like if I were to, in that same situation, say there was somebody in my house. Say there was, it was go time. (laughs) My dream had come true. And I were just to lean over to my wife and say, baby, I love you. And she were to say, I think there's someone in our house. Can you go check? Just, you know what, I just want to experience this right now. I love you. Can you just hear that that wouldn't be very loving if someone was actually in my house I would need to do the ninja jump off the bed one day it will happen and show her that I love her by protecting her by having love that's active what we see in first Corinthians thirteen seven is a love that's active love bears all things love believes all things love hope hopes all things love endures all things Love bears all things. It covers all faults. First Peter 4 says that love covers a multitude of sins. Love believes and hopes all things. Love hopes for the best. I can be a little bit cynical, and I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were saying, what if you just assume the best of someone? And I said, well, that's an idea. But what if I look foolish? And they said, yeah, but wh- you'll just look foolish for Jesus. Like What if you believed and hoped the best for someone? You'll look foolish, but maybe you'll look foolish for Jesus. Love bears all things. It covers all faults. It covers a multitude of sins. It believes and hopes all things. It assumes the best about someone else. Love endures all things. Love is full of action. Love involves Action. It doesn't just involve saying we love each other, saying we love God. It doesn't just involve coming to church and singing to God. It involves action. This is the love with which the Father has loved Jesus. This is the love which, if you believe in Jesus, is in you. His love bears all things, His love believes all things, His love hopes all things, His love endures. All things, that love is in you. When you get that kind of love, when you grasp the love of the Father that is in you, it's then when you can begin to love others with the same kind of love. You may hear that, love bears, love hopes, love believes, love endures, and think, I can't love like that. You can't. The love of the Father that is in you can You see, once we understand our relationship with God vertically, we can begin to understand our relationships with others horizontally. Once we understand the presence of God in our own lives, we can begin to see that work itself out in the lives of others. Once we understand the love that is within us because of Jesus, we can begin to love other people just like that. What if our church loved like that, with the love of the Father that's in Jesus, that's in us. Don't you think people would want to come to this church? Would you want to be a part of this church? What if there was a neighborhood like that, where love bared all things, where love hoped all things, where people assumed the best, not just positive thinking, but because of the way Jesus has radically loved them, they began to love other people just like that. What would that look like? Would you want to join that church? Would you want to be a part of that neighborhood? I would. What if we loved like that? What if we were so in tune with our relationship with God that it changed our relationships with others? There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Joseph. Things went kind of bad for this guy. Uh, He was rejected by his family. He was accused by his employer. In Genesis 39, though, it says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. The Lord was with Joseph. He goes on to experience more bad circumstances after this chapter. He had experienced a lot of bad circumstances before this chapter. He had been rejected by his very own family. He had been accused by his employer. His relationships were pretty distant. But the Lord was with Joseph. That relationship did not change. Wherever you are in your relationships, whatever's keeping you from a relationship with God, whatever's keeping you from a close, deep Authentic relationship with one another. God is with you. If you know Jesus, God is with you. And you can experience success just because you have the presence of God in your life. Just because his love is abiding in you. And as that begins to happen, that can be worked out in your other relationships. In your family, in your friends, in your marriage. What if we grasp the relationship that God desires for you and I will we respond to that will we draw near to God let's do that now as we pray father in heaven I thank you for tonight I thank you for your presence I thank you that you generously give us your presence that even tonight that your presence is among us That even when we're distracted, your presence is with us. That even when others reject us, your presence is with us. That even when the people we thought loved us don't love us anymore, your presence is with us. That even when the people who we thought accepted us don't accept us anymore, your presence is with us. Your love abides and dwells within us. God, I pray that we would... Believe that tonight. I pray that we would respond to that tonight. That we would respond by coming near. That we wouldn't just look from afar and be impressed, but we would come close to the God of the universe and be affected by Your presence, by Your love in our lives. That that would transform us. And that would change every other relationship in our life. God, I pray that you would do that even now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.